Hey, everybody. Kevin Grossman, president of Talent Board. I hope you are all safe and well during these challenging times. And keeping communication open with all of your candidates, external as well as your internal employees, is probably more critical than ever before. Letting them know that even if hiring is slowing for your organization, you still want to do a better job at recruiting and hiring. This can help with your overall perceived fairness and brand perception in the near term and the long term. Plus, understanding your candidate experience strengths, weaknesses, and perception gaps will help you better understand and ultimately make improvements to your processes that will benefit you today and in the future once we're beyond this healthcare crisis. Thanks for your time, everybody, and enjoy the podcast. So if I want to become an engineer in the era of COVID, what's another way that I get into that occupation? And an apprenticeship is is a great way to do that. Um, You can pick a discipline. A quality program would be one to two years in duration. In some industries, it's longer. You're listening to the Candy Shop Talk podcast brought to you by Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards Benchmark Research and hosted by Kevin W. Grossman. Talent Board is the first nonprofit research organization focused on elevating and promoting a quality candidate experience. The Candy Shop Talk podcast welcomes Nick Wyman, a workforce development and skills expert, author, speaker, and CEO of the Institute for Workplace Skills and Innovation, WSI America. Listen in on how improving candidate experience impacts recruiting and the business bottom line. Nick, thank you so much for joining me on the Candy Shop Talk podcast. Before we dive into the rest of the show, why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do today? Yeah, well, thank you very much for uh, in- inviting me to to talk about uh, my life and, and my experience. Uh, I started life as an apprentice, which is something that a lot of people and a lot of listeners might have heard about. So I'm sure we're going to delve in, into that. But uh, our organization is a, is a community enterprise, a nonprofit called IWSI America. And we work with companies and industries and, and with governments designing programs for people who like to learn by doing. So people who like to learn with their head and their hands. I've got a, a quick kind of, before we move on with the rest of the questions that I had, I wanted to get to with you, I'm just curious, how do you differentiate apprenticeship from internship? Great question. There, there is some similarities and, and there are some differences. I think uh, the first thing really is an apprenticeship is one of the Western world's oldest forms of, of learning. And although in the, the uh, United States, it's been very much in building construction um, with a very narrow focus. In the rest of the world, in Germany, in Europe, in the UK, and my homeland, uh, Australia, I'm not from Brooklyn. This is not a Brooklyn accent. This is an Australian accent. But in my uh, homeland, um, Australia, um, apprenticeship um, has been used for many years. And really, the, the sort of the key differences are the duration. An internship is is usually shorter. Some in- internships um, are not paid positions, whereas an apprenticeship is very much based on this idea about you learn and earn. So a person must be paid. They spend time on and off the job. So the cornerstone of an apprenticeship is having an employer. So it really starts with an employer who has a skills need, which is different to a lot of other training programs. And say, for instance, CTE, which is training, which then a person would go out and look for work. An apprenticeship is a job. 
So that that's probably the key differences. No, and I appreciate that, and I and I just think sometimes it's it's important to hear that too. Now you mentioned construction, and I know that we have seen in the past few years other examples, even some from some of the tech companies themselves, LinkedIn, for example, around developers identifying, and it's also a recruiting tool too, right? It's yes, you're learning a, some skills that will benefit you and to maybe be employed elsewhere, but at the same time, I may recruit you. But let me just take the bigger picture here because coming up soon, something I wasn't even aware of, but I'm excited to know about it now. National Apprenticeship Week is coming, right? That's it's uh, November 8th through the 14th. And, and now that you've outlined that, the whole the difference between apprenticeships and internships, we've talked a little bit about it. It, it. it isn't new again. And there's today, there's millions out of work still, unfortunately, right? And it's these kinds of programs are, are super critical more than ever. I mean, this we've had the weight of today is still bearing down on some so many different folks. So can you give some specific examples? We'll drill down a little further too in the, the, the what's and the why's and the how's, but some examples of effective apprenticeship programs that you're aware of or even helped launch based on what you do and the organization you run? Absolutely. I, I think the, the first question I like to ask employers or if you're thinking about starting an apprenticeship program, it, it's, it's pretty intuitive actually, what is your skills need? We don't want to create jobs because there's some seed funding or there's some government funding available. Let's create a job and then when that funding dries up, all the effort you know that you've put into that goes away. You're much better off with an employer who says, I have some skills that need hiring for. An apprenticeship program is is really best started off as a grassroots program. And I should just say, it's not just for young people, career changes, um, people who are leaving the services, or as you point out, people who've been displaced by this incredible economic global upheaval. And I think that a lot of people are saying, well, what other ways can I get a start in the world of work? And you know, one thing I did want to say about apprenticeship, and, and then we'll come back to a, a program that's really successful, is that um, I'm very much a believer in lifelong learning. Um, as I mentioned, I started life as an apprentice. And there's several ways to become an engineer. One way is you can go off to college, and that's sort of what I describe as probably more the more traditional path. Of course, that comes with a few barriers. Of course, student loan debt is something that we've known about for a long time. But also in the era of COVID, people feeling they're not getting the full experience because they're signing up for these programs and they're all online. They're not actually getting to mix with other students. They're not getting to meet the faculty. So if I want to become an engineer in the era of COVID, what's another way that I can enter that occupation? And an apprenticeship is, is a great way to do that. Um, you can pick a discipline. A quality program would be one to two years in duration. In some industries, it's longer. And I'll give you an example there, aeronautical engineering. That's four years. I think it should actually be five years. It could even be six years. I mean, you want to make sure that the people who are working on aircraft are putting the right size screw in the right size hole. I mean, there's been some terrible, you know, airline incidents in the world and it comes back to somebody putting the wrong size screw when refitting a windscreen to an aircraft. They look the same. So there's very, you know, there's a lot of technical skills to be learned. But you mentioned a variety of programs, medical technology, we're seeing uh, civil service apprenticeships flowing right through into the IT sector. And I worked with a company called uh, Interapt, um, whose head office or their base is in Louisville, Kentucky, but they have operations. And the CEO, a chap by the name of Ankur Gopal, hires and recruits soft software engineers, and they found it 
difficult to draw on entry-level workers from their talent pool. And they were finding a lot of people applying for the roles who had the theoretical skills, but lacked the experience and skills in the latest software. So people who were coming through training programs, but they were learning on outdated textbooks and it's moving so fast in the technology sphere. So uh, Ancor decided to start a program. And, you know, if I'd have to say, why was it successful? Well, the first thing he did, maybe he was, you know, sort of sensing that, that things were about to change, um, you know, this is pre pre-COVID, he was employing locally. And post-COVID, I'm really seeing a lot of companies changing their hiring practices and saying, well, let's look at the local, you know, the local talent pool. So Interrap went out, um, decided to address the shortage. And um, so they really drew on the pool of Kentucky residents. But probably the second factor is something that I'm very passionate about is that they really broaden their pool of who they might employ. Quite often, companies have got a very fixed idea. And I'm certainly not coming in here as, a, as a, an HR professional. I'm a, I'm a practitioner. I'm a frontline guy. But from my experience, companies could miss out on some great talent because they're not um, broadening their pool of who they might actually employ. And so I mentioned before um, veterans and career changes, high school grads, but um, displaced workers. There are people who've got some great skills and maybe they might not line up to what you have on the job description or position description, but um, starting an apprenticeship program for your company might be a different way to reboot and refresh the skills of some of these folks. And what you are going to get is people who are loyal, hardworking, interested. Um, they understand the world of work, which is really important for a lot of companies. So I think there's a lot of advantages. So that's probably what I picked up from the Interrap program. I really have heard this, similar things about uh, apprenticeship programs and, and the value to organizations and to the individuals too. I've heard energy and utilities is another industry that has come absolutely and um uh, telecommunications yes. there's you mentioned before um uh, national apprenticeship week yeah. the, the number of apprentices actually dwindled across the united states uh, you know in the last decade it got as low as you know 300,000 apprentices that's starting to surge towards a million apprentices the uh, federal government has you know refreshed uh, their brand um, they've come to the market with a new uh, discovery style campaign. And I think, you know, what's important for companies to consider is do they want to, you know, register their program, register their apprenticeship? And I'd always encourage people to, to strongly do that. And the reason for that is because it enables people to be able to move from, you know, company to company, state to state. It's a, it's a nationally recognized qualification. Sure, uh, you might need to do a few certifications if you move from one state to another, but people will recognize. And one day, if we're allowed to leave the country again, and we're able to travel, you know, for somebody who's younger, it might be an opportunity to take their skills offshore, learn some some skills internationally, and, and then come back to the US. Because all that COVID really has done in my mind is, you know, speed up some of this globalization and economic change. I think it's just happening at a, at a more rapid pace. So apprenticeships are known outside the country. I mean, there was a television show. I need to tell people who are listening, that's probably not the definition of what an apprenticeship is. In <laughs> fact, it actually, in fact, it actually, it actually confused the brand a little tad. Yeah, but please, let's not talk about 
that show. I'm, I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. Right, um, right. I did get asked a question once. I thought I was at a conference <laughs> and I thought I was in Southeast Asia and I thought I absolutely nailed this this presentation. I was quite happy with myself. Yeah. I'm like, just, you know, are there any questions? Hoping for what we call a Dorothy Dixie, you know, where I give uh-huh. someone a question earlier and they read it out and I say, oh, yes. Somebody said, you know, how long have you worked? And I'm like, oh, no. I need to explain. I think I might have confused you. No, they thought I was some sort of television reality person. Right, like, right. No, 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 this is the and, real world. And I want to be clear with the folks listening at home, you are not. So um, Thank you very much for clarifying. Yeah. yeah well, but, I'm glad we've got that now out there so, in the mainstream. So here's, so here's the thing, and, I mean, it, and it's fascinating to me, right, because we, we talk for, you know, there's been everything from the McKinsey's and larger research organizations to even the candidate experience research that we focus on that, you know, employers are, you know, this, this whole idea about skill shortage is there's different ways to slice and dice that. And that is true at the end of the day, but I think the willingness to, and what, what employers have also had to do COVID has accelerated this as well is to redeploy individuals and and reskill them too now whether that's in the the frame of a apprenticeship program or not they are definitely like how how do we do that but to me it seems like it's it's i hope that it continues to grow right because i think this is one of the ways to be able to source more locally and to help develop people and not only and potentially for your own organization but just to be more employable down the line for other organizations to get some of these individuals back to work right so the thing i want to segue to though is that we know, and we we saw it this year with the companies that are in our research community, we call it the candy community, big and small across industries that participate every year in our research and consume what we do. But there was that a lot of disruption. We had to flip to a virtual world, right? There's no more in-person thing. So talk just a little bit about due to COVID-19, what what are some of the considerations that organizations launching apprenticeship programs need to keep in mind? It's probably along the same lines of recruiting and hiring as well, but when you're in the virtual world. But what do you say to that? I believe that skills investment can really drive this post recovery. And I think it's important for companies and individuals to reimagine the post-pandemic future. I think that we're in for a period of extended economic uncertainty. And a lot of people are being forced to reconsider the fundamentals of not only how they work, but how they socialize. People are worried, will their lives and jobs return to normal? What's the future of work going to look like? And people are grappling with these problems. And a lot of younger people, of course, it's it's for the very first time. So I think that there are opportunities and apprenticeship and this idea of learning by doing is definitely a way that people can build skills. I know it sounds a bit cliche-like, but for today and tomorrow, because technology is, is definitely changing the way we work. So people will learn technical skills today that are going to be replaced and will change tomorrow. But there are things that you learn in a workplace and when you're interacting with groups and other people that you'll be able to, to take forward. And, and some of these things, you know, you could call them attributes, but you've also got, you know, just the way that you work with groups and communicate, uh, the way you interact with people now on Zoom. And, you know, there's, these things are really important skills, but we need to build into, and this is probably more focused on young people, We need to make sure that people are resilient and that they're able to adapt to change. And this idea of learning by doing is a great way to do that. I'm not saying that you can't learn that in a classroom, but for a lot of of people, a lot of students, they've been locked behind a desk. Well, not really. They 
I think they lie at home in in, in bed with their uh, iPad with the camera off these days. But still, theoretically talking, a lot of, you know, students when they went to school were sitting in a classroom. In actual fact, that was a bit of an Australian joke and, and probably the, the idea is that um, I think we've got this whole generation that we need to reconnect. We have a huge problem sitting before us and it's how what we do next is what's going to count. Agreed. And Nick, you know what? In fact, there's, and I got, we can have a whole another conversation about continuing that thread as, so there's, there's that part and we have younger children. So they're 10 and 12 and it's all distance learning for us right now. There's it's school yeah. may go back part-time in the spring where we're at in California, but whatever the case is, is like, we want them to still have more of that in-person interaction again at some point when we can do that. I agree with you about reconnecting the younger generations, you know, Gen Z millennials that are in the workforce today. You've also got another theme, a whole theme of a growing theme of ageism. And for us old Gen Xers like I am and boomers and at some point millennials are actually getting up there now <laughs> the oldest millennials and we see it in our data and our research right but that's a whole nother pool of potential candidates that do have uh, knowledge and life skills and experience that they've learned that could be put learned further in in some of these apprenticeship programs right would you say Look, absolutely. And this idea of reskilling, rebooting with technology and something I will talk to you about in a minute, Mediterranean diets. It's something I'm very interested in at the moment because I was a, a chef and, and but people are living, people are living longer. And it's also why people work. You know, I love what I do and it, it's great if you can find a job challenging at the moment as it is, that if you can always take a positive approach to work. And some companies say to me, yeah, we'd like to start a, an, a, an apprenticeship program but we're worried about, you know, employing younger people. We don't have someone to supervise them. We're worried that the participants might not show up. We're worried about this. We're worried about that. And quite often I say, well, you really should consider, you know, mature age, mature age people who have some life experience. Um, I wrote a book called Job You a few years back and got to, I wrote a whole chapter on um, on this very subject, but focused in on on some amazing stories of people who, I must say, what you'd call probably white collar workers, I don't know, uh, salaried workers. There's a story about a guy who was an accountant and all he ever wanted to do was something with his hands. And he went off to this fantastic school called the um, uh, uh, Bennett Street School in Boston and learnt book binding antique book binding. Now that doesn't, you know, might not do it for a lot of people, but he has now carved out not only an incredible second career, but, you know, he's employing 30, 40 people because libraries all around the world have got these books that are falling apart. It, it, it's very boutique, but my, my point being that, um, you know, people can have a second wind, you know, no matter what age or what stage, you know, people are. And there are industries that are going away. We talked about Kentucky, an example there, the coal industry, way before COVID, coal industry is going away. Right. The rag trade disappeared overshore, offshore, onshore. I think we're going to see a whole lot of uh, manufacturing come back onshore. I think that um, when people ran out of toilet paper, I think they said, that's it. We need to manufacture more in this country. So I think we're going to see a whole lot more of, of manufacturing and buying local products. And it's not just that, you know, the one country that's that seems to dominate. I think people want to actually create things and, and make things. And there's a whole revival in the, in the food scene. You know, I was a former chef. I went to school at I spent some time at a hotel management school in Switzerland. And one thing I know about my friends in the hospitality industry, 
they will stay strong. They will bounce back. They will reinvent the model pretty quick. So, you know, they're doing it hard. I think we've got to support them. But I think that we're going to see that the tourism sector just get smarter about how they operate. Agreed. And I I can tell you, for, I don't, I'm not going to go on tour anytime soon, but I am learning to play the drums. And I'm a new uh, skill, a new skill. Fantastic. I know. And that's, I'm doing it for a lot of different reasons, right? Keep the synapses fresh and firing in different ways. And I've always, I love music and I love drums. And, and a few years ago, my wife bought me an electronic kit for that purpose that I started. And then, you know, then that becomes yes. the thing that the clothes hang on, right? And other things hang on. But for that now, for the past seven months, I'm t- taking online lessons and, and learning. And it's, it's, it's a lot of fun too. I, I mean, that's a fun thing that, who knows where that'll go, but, but we are lifelong learners and need to, to stay active in that way. Yeah. And, and whether it's needed to remain employable or not, you know, depends on who you are and what experiences you had and where you're at today. But I would argue that going forward, we have, we have to change is, is not only always a constant, we have to continue continue to to learn and work. I would love, Nick, to keep having this conversation with you. And I, we would definitely have to do that because time flies when you're having fun. We'll have to do that again at another time. But one of the things I wanted to just round out that I, besides everything that we've been talking about, you've been highlighting some amazing work that you're doing, that your other organizations are doing around apprenticeship programs. But besides work, because we're always working, right? All the time always about work. What else? Again, you mentioned cooking, so you already shared that with us, but what else does Nick like to do? Well, you know, cooking is a, is a big thing, but all the things that I'm doing, I'm, I, I like the word well-being. I'm not at, you know, uh, people talk about mental health and, you know, for a lot of us, it's been pretty tough, particularly if you're, uh, you know, you're, you're trapped at home with, when I say trapped at home, it's been a great experience, but, you know, we're used to getting out and about and being in circulation. So I really have been re-exploring my culinary side, nice. but I also learned how to weld. Now, something that's always fascinated me, I'm wow. certainly not about to get into industrial, but um, <laughs> I came across a, a lady who's in her 90s, um, an artist, yeah. and there she was welding. And I'm like, hey, you're 90. If you can weld, I'm going to give it a crack. And she made these amazing steel sculptures. So we've got some work to do there. And there was only a couple of small little fires and spot fires. So I'm learning to weld. I really am interested in this whole idea of Mediterranean diet and how that works with um, fish. And so I'm sort of trying out the pescatarian movement at the moment. There's a lot of research that says that the Mediterranean diet is great for all our heart health. So sure. I'm interested in in health and well-being and trying to get outside when and where I can. And it's just, I think it's its given us all an opportunity to, I suppose, reset is a great word, mm-hmm. um, to come back and think about what's important. I mean, we were all just putting food in the microwave and, and pressing reheat. I think we've all discovered our culinary side. Pretty much, you know, most of most of the neighbourhood where I live have discovered sourdough bread. Everyone shares sourdough sourdough starters. You know, something for people up on the um, in the Bay Area. You know, on the West Coast, know all too well. Oh, but, absolutely. Um, it, yeah. It's really been great talking to you, and and I do look forward to continuing the conversation. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I appreciate it, and I can tell you that I make I make a mean mess of nachos. I just want you to know. Very good. Right now, it can be <laughs> uh, pork, but- beef, even even fish. I mean, I I can make a mean. But I hear you though. We we've been cooking a lot too, and so it's it's um. There's a lot of things that we you know you have, you've been, we've been revisiting and rethinking and on our well being and our diet and meditation and lots of 
Absolutely. Yeah. Meditations and meditations and other, you know, there's, there's so many things that the thing about, um, you know, maybe a place to finish is there's all this, should we fear technology or the robots going to take, remember all that Bill Gates yeah. stuff a few now years back? That the fact right. is right. that even with these enormous challenges, humanity is prevailing. We're fighting yeah. through it. Yeah. Mankind will prevail and we're, there's always a place for that human interaction. So yeah. I think it's how mankind or, or humankind and, you know, how people work together. Sure. And I think we're seeing this new side of resilience. We're seeing this new side of color culinary interest, which is good for everyone. I mean, if you want to go to the next level, one of the earlier jobs I did was actually a, a terraced vegetable garden. So I, I didn't get to weld, unfortunately. I might weld some sculpture in there, but I want to see you know, that, got out man. a hammer and, and, and a drill and, and, and put in my own vegetable garden. So, um, well, listen, thank, thank you, Nick, so much for being on the Candy Shop Talk podcast. I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it and wish you nothing but the, the, the best of luck and with the conference coming up as well. And we'll have to catch up again soon. Very soon. I, I really look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Candy Shop Talk podcast. For more information about Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards and Benchmark Research, visit www.thetalentboard.org.